0: Thank you, thank you, thank you for that beautiful. Well, here we are. We're the Sunday night crowd. <laughs> I always like being with the Sunday night crowd. Those are the folks who are serious about being. I love. I grew up in the Julia A. Porter United Methodist Church in Porterdale, and I love Sunday nights. I love Sunday night worship service because it was a lot less formal. And we would sing from the Coates Barry Hymn. I noticed Coates Barry Hendel right on my seat this morning. And we would sing those old songs, and anybody that wanted to could just call out a number, and we And I loved that. And the preacher preached a lot shorter on Sunday nights <laughs> too. <laughs> Two out of three aren't bad, So um, you know, I've had a great day. I've had a great day. I'm at Salem Camp Meeting, Salem Campground. Our family tent in Salem. And we started Friday night, so uh, I woke up to the church bell ringing early this morning and uh, got up. We have sawdust on our tent floor uh, and, and got ready in sawdust. And I drove over here. We had a wonderful service this morning. I enjoyed being with you so much. And then I drove back to coming to the Salem Campground this afternoon at two o'clock in the tabernacle, we baptized my grandson, Henley Walker Fairchild. I know you thought you had the cutest and the smartest grandson in the world, but you don't. (laughs) I do, we baptized him this afternoon. And then I drove to Decatur and performed a wedding for two very, very dear friends of mine. And then we drove back here, and here I am. I'm gonna sleep well. <laughs> I didn't sleep well last night, but I was—you know—when I ever come to a new place, you never know how you're going to be received and what people are going to think about you and how they're going to receive your message. And so I tossed and turned, and I was having a hard time sleeping. And finally, I did get to sleep, and when I did get to sleep, I had this horrible dream. I died in my dream, and I went to heaven. You now. I'm not afraid to die, and when I die, I'll go to heaven, and I'm saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I've already made those arrangements, but in my dream, I had conditions to get into heaven. St. Peter met me at the pearly gates, and he said, well, your name is on our book, but there's still some things you have to do. Now, that's not scripture, but that was in my dream, and he pointed to this big white thing going up in guy looked like a Washington Monument, and there was a huge, giant ladder beside it. He said, that's the chalk, and you've got to climb that ladder, and you've got to take that chalk, and you've got to stop, and for every sin you've committed in your life, you've got to make a mark on uh, with that chalk, and I said, that's going to take a long time until we've got plenty of time, so I got on that ladder now hoisted up this huge piece of chalk. As I said in my dream, it was to the size of the Washington Monument. And I started climbing and marking and climbing and marking and climbing and marking. And I got to about my one millionth sin, and I couldn't think of another bad thing I had done. I still had half that giant piece of chalk left. I decided I would rest before I came back down. I had the chalk on my shoulder, I had my hand on the ladder, and then all of a sudden, I felt this crushing weight, crushing the bones of my fingers. And I looked up, and it was Mike Divine standing on my head. And he was coming down to get another piece of chalk. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight in your house. Now, would you make me your servant? Would you empty me of myself and fill me with the words that you would have the congregation hear? Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Well, we just got past the 4th of July. Did y'all have a good time? Did you shoot off fireworks? You know, I thought it was a good idea when the state of Georgia legalized fireworks, because I said, well now I can go out and shoot fireworks legally, uh, because I've been doing it all along. But it's nice to be legal. legal. Uh, I thought it was a good idea up to about 1.30 when I was trying to go to sleep, and they were still shooting fireworks in my neighborhood. And then I thought maybe they had uh, made a bad decision. But you know, we were commemorating Independence Day. We were commemorating being Free. And being free is a great, great feeling. I taught history to high school students for 40 years uh, of my life. And I appreciate our nation's history. I appreciate the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. And you know, on July the 2nd in 1776 was when the Second Continental Congress actually voted unanimously to declare independence from Great Britain. And John Adams, one of our founding fathers, who would become uh, the second president of the United States eventually, wrote a letter to his wife Abigail. And this is what he said in the letter about how we should celebrate our freedom and independence from great Britain. He said it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Now, some business historians will tell you that from the beginning America was not intended to be a Christian nation, that the church and the state were supposed to be separated. Those people don't know what they're talking about. John Adams wrote on the day the Declaration of Independence was signed that we should celebrate our independence and our freedom with solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow night. It ought to be solemnized, he said, with pomp and parade, with shows and games and sports and guns and bells and bonfires and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, even forevermore. He was a pretty good prophet, wasn't he? He pretty much describes how we celebrate our freedom. It feels good to be free. It feels good to be free. And that was a bold step for those 56 men who signed that declaration, because once they signed that declaration, they were committing high treason, and they became wanted men by the crown. And they knew, that if they were captured, they would be put to death. But they nonetheless signed that document and they pledged to one another their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And that was kind of unusual in the history of the world. In fact, it was unprecedented in the history of the world because every other revolution that had ever occurred was put forth by peasants, poor people who didn't have anything to lose, so they decided they might as well risk their lives because death was preferable to the lives they were having to live. But the men who signed our Declaration of Independence were among the wealthiest and the most successful in the colonies. They had more to lose than anyone, and yet they risked it all for something that was more important than material goods. And so it's good that we celebrate the freedom that the men and women of our armed forces have fought and died to give to us. I hope you had a great, great holiday weekend. Well today, we're gonna look at a different type of freedom. Today we're going to look at freedom from sin, and if you have ever been bogged down by the chains of sin, if you're being drugged down by the chains of sin, and if you have been set free, as we sang about in the song just a few moments ago, then you know what a great, great feeling it is. I'm not going to ask you to stand for the reading because I'm going to kind of read as we go along today and make a point uh, as we go. But if you have your Bible, if you want to turn to the book of Galatians, and we're going to be at, in chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 13. And these are the words of St. Paul, who wrote, You, my brothers, We're called to be free. Let's stop right there at the first half verse. I know somebody's already looking at the Bible. He's going to take a half verse at a time. He might be here all night. But it's worth looking at You were called to be free. We are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And a lot of people don't answer that call because they have the misconception that it's going to be like a yoke around their neck. That they're going to be drugged down by a long list of dumps. You can't do that if you're a Christian. You can't do this if you're a Christian. Don't do this, don't do that. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus Christ came to give us life and give us more abundant life. So we are called, those of us who accept it as call, are called to be free. We're called to be free from the shackles of sin. But then Paul went on to write, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. We're not free to sin. We're free from our sin because the price of those sins has been paid. The wages of sin is death. But our debt has been paid on the cross. You can't go to eternity with God in heaven except through Jesus Christ because there's no other name on earth by which can be saved. And so if we accept Jesus Christ, and we accept the gift He's given us, we are free from those sins. Can you imagine someone giving you a nice beautiful gift at Christmas? And it's wrapped up in ribbons and bows, and it's just so beautiful that you say, well, this is such a beautiful gift, I'm just going to set it over here on the table, and I don't think I will open That gift is useless. And the person who gave you that gift, gave you that gift, I hope, because they loved you and they wanted to give you something and you're not using their gift at all. You are doing them a disservice. Christ has offered us a gift and if we accept that gift, then we are set free from our sin. Paul says we are not free to sin, we should not indulge our sinful nature, but serve one another in love. Christianity is not about what we get, although we get eternal life. Christianity is about what we give. Serve one another in love. Love in our hearts wasn't put there to stay. Love is love till we give it away. The entire law is summed up in a single command: Love your neighbor as yourself. Y'all remember the story. I'm sure you remember the story. The person came to Jesus and said, Master, Lord, what is the greatest of commandments? Do you know the commandments? you know the commandments? You said, why are you asking? I'm asking you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. And of course, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. We are supposed to love our neighbors. We're supposed to love our enemies. Anybody can love people who love us back or who already love us first, but it's a trick to love your enemies. And yet, that's what we're called as Christians to do. We are called to love one another, to serve one another in love. Have you ever given somebody a gift? Now I know you have. I'm ask this question. I guess that's one of those rhetorical questions I've heard about. But you know how it is, and I've heard, you got your Christmas shopping done. I guess my daddy, if you talk about Christmas, I guess you can have, my daddy say you got Christmas in July, you got the money, so I guess we'll have little Christmas in July tonight. But you know the story, it's December 23rd, 22nd, you see people maybe at church, you got all your shopping done, are you ready for Christmas? Well, most of it, but I still gotta get something for souls. So let me tell you something. If you ever get in my family, if you're ever friends with me, and you have to give me a present because you have to give me a present, don't give me a present. <laughs> what kind of present is that? My daddy bought me two gifts my entire life. He bought me a baseball glove when I was in the fourth grade. He bought me a rack stereo system when I was about 24 years old. Not because he didn't love me, he gave me all kinds of gifts. My daddy just didn't shop. My, he left my mother up to that, So I knew when he gave me those two gifts that he bumped in the store and saw I thought, well, Darrell was like that, I'm going to get it for him. He did it out of love. I cherish those gifts. I still got that baseball glove. It still got a ball in it wrapped up with a rubber band. And I still got that stereo system down at the basement. It doesn't play anymore. I shouldn't get an eagle for it. It did. It's one of those shrimp table things. That was given to me out of love. We are to serve our neighbor not because it's our duty, but because we want to show the love of Christ to them. Serve one another in love. We are free from our sins. We're not to use our freedom to sin. We're supposed to Use the love of Christ to serve our neighbors to serve our neighbors and we know that everyone is our neighbor Paul says the whole law is summed up in that command he's talking about the whole Jewish law and then he says this in verse 15 If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by one another. Now let me give you some background about this. Paul was writing a letter to the church in Galatia. Galatia was a region consisting of many, many villages throughout Asia Minor in the land that is now called Turkey. In the early church, there were many, many, many Jews who had recognized that Christ is the Messiah. There were also many Gentiles because Christ came to save the whole world. Christ didn't just come to save Americans. Christ didn't just come to save Jews. Christ didn't just come to save black people. He didn't just come to save white people. He didn't just come to save Asians. Christ came to save the world, to make himself available to the world. Well, the Jews considered themselves superior to the Gentiles in the church, some of the Jews, because they were God's chosen people. And there was a certain sect of Jews called Judaists. And these people were teaching in the church that you had to maintain all of the Jewish laws. And they were teaching the Gentiles, or they were insisting of the Gentiles that they had to follow the Jewish law, even though they weren't Jewish, including the law of circumcision, and this was causing divisiveness in the church. So Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia to straighten them out. As your mama ever had to straighten you out? They were missing the whole point. They didn't get grace at all. And so that's what Paul was trying to say to them. Grace is about love. You don't have to have the grace of God and be circumcised. You don't have to have the grace of God and go to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. You don't have have to have the grace of God... And give ten percent of everything you have to the local church, or you you should do that. But but you don't have in order to be saved. Do you understand? Because if you put a condition on grace, it's not grace anymore. There's grace and nothing else. And the problem was because the Judaizers were putting conditions on salvation. They were putting conditions on the love of Jesus Christ and it was dividing church. It was dividing church. Have you ever been a part of a church that was divided? It's an ugly, ugly thing. And churches have become divided over so many silly things that I've been aware of. Go to Myrtle Beach in the summer, and south of Myrtle Beach near Pauley's Island is a place called Myrtle's Inn. Anybody ever been to Myrtle's Inn to eat seafood? It's just a little strip off U.S. 17, and it goes. they must have 25 seafood restaurants and about a four-mile stretch. But right at the end of that little stretch before it comes back into 17, on the left side of the road, if you're going north toward Myrtle Beach, sits a beautiful little country church called, and the sign says First United Methodist Church of Berlin B-E-L-I-N Right across the street and it's not a wide street it's just a two lane country highway Right across the street sits an identical church building identical and the sign says The Second United Church Methodist Church of the Land. I've often wanted to go there on a Sunday morning and watch people coming out and asking what the argument was about to separate that church, and see if anybody even remembers. But this is the one Paul ends. If you keep on fighting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. You know we. Are in the midst of one of the ugliest arguments there's ever been in the church. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I'm not here to choose a side tonight, I'm not here to talk about sides tonight, but I know that the Apostle Paul says we are called to love one another. We are called to serve one another through love. I know that he said that if we keep fighting at one another, we will devour ourselves and we will cease to exist. Not just the United Methodist Church, but the church. The Church Catholic Church Almighty. I've been to Turkey twice in the last fourteen months. I've been to Galatians. I've been to that part of the world that Paul was talking about. I was there last in March, and there are no Christian churches in Galatians. They have been devoured. There are lots and lots and lots of mosques. Turkey is 99.8% Muslim. The church devoured one another, devoured itself in Turkey, and no longer exists. Now, that's not exactly true. There's some underground churches and there's some small, but 99.8% of the nation is Muslim. That can never happen in the United States of America. Let me tell you something. I was in Utica, New York, just a few weeks ago, and I walked through the streets of a dead city. In Utica, New York, there's grass growing through the sidewalks, and I have eleven churches in a two-mile walk that are boarded up or are either mosques. I was in Detroit, Michigan last year. Dozens and dozens and dozens of churches boarded up or turned into mosques. If you keep on fighting and devouring one another, watch out. Or you will be destroyed by one another. But but but, but 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 these people are sinners. <coughs> these people are sinners. I'm glad they are sinners, and you are. Some people's sins are different from my sin, but we are all sinners for all their sins and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me tell you what Paul says. So I say, verse 16, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We are all sinners. It is our nature to go against God, because Satan makes sin look so wonderful and so desirable and we are human creatures. We are in the flesh. Jesus said to the disciples in the Garden of Eden of Garden of Gethsemane, when they couldn't bring themselves to stay awake with him the night before his crucifixion. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we are sinful people. We do have a sinful nature. And the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit desire which is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So we're not condemned by our evil desire, by our evil nature, not even by our evil deeds. We are forgiven those deeds. I'm going to say another word about that just a moment. But first, I want to get to 19, where Paul lists some of the sins of the flesh that we might struggle with. It's not an exhaustive list. We always think of new ways to separate ourselves from God. But in verse 19, Paul writes, the acts and sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Oh yeah, that's it, that's the one. That's the one we're talking about. That's the one we're waiting for. Maybe I haven't gotten to your sin yet. Yeah. Impurity, yes, yeah, that's another one. That's another one, that's another one. Devouching. well I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. It sounds like what somebody somebody else's do. A dollar. Witchcraft, oh, there you go, people go. I was just a homecoming down in South Georgia at a church so far out in the country they had to walk toward town to hunt. And I got there a little bit late and the only seat that was left was on the second pew and there was a lady sitting right beside the aisle and I stood there, I thought she'd move over, just stuck her nose up, so I walked over her and I sat down. A young man came out to preach had been raised in that church and he started preaching and I think he was afraid he would never be invited back. And he was going to cover every sin there was. And he started preaching about the evils of drink. And that lady elbowed me. She had a sharp
1: elbows. Right wrist,
0: he said, That's a good preacher. Boy, his, that man's doing some powerful preaching. And then he started talking about people who were gambling, paying for education with a lottery, gambling up the paycheck. And the lady beside elbowed me, and she said, that, that man was a good preaching." He went on and on and on, and, on and my shoulder, my ribs were getting black and blue. And then he said, and the body is the temple of God, and people are using to back and destroy God's temple. And the lady got a change, she got up, she walked right over, I said, man, where are you going? I thought you said this is a great preacher." she said, that hey, young know, whippersnapper wouldn't quit preaching and going to Well, Paul's got a wrong list. He may have been preaching when he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, devout, witchcraft. But then he goes on to talk about hatred. Do we have any of us hate in our heart? I didn't ask for sure he didn't. We first discord. Ooh, we're getting warmer because I know a lot of people that are constantly showing, sowing discord. They can't wait to say something bad about somebody. They always find the worst about somebody instead of looking for the good. Am I the only one that's done that? Jealous. rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, horny, and life. Wow. Can we think about that? We're supposed to love all the people that do all those things because God has forgiven us for doing all of those things for the life. Maybe Paul didn't hit on my particular weakness or my particular sin, or maybe he hit on a bunch of them, but the point is that we are the church, and we are called to love one another, not to destroy the church by fighting and devouring one another. Now, Particularly nowadays, it's like to just end it right there. Because what Paul said next is as popular. He said, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there is one that's appointed to decide that. And guess what? It wasn't you. It wasn't me. It wasn't Reverend Mike. Jesus Christ decides that. Our job is not to judge those who sin or different from ours. Our job is to love them. Our job is. And so, if we have a loving nature, if we accept Christ's grace and use it for love, then we will bear fruit. Got any gardeners in here? I have a garden. Dear Love. I saw some beautiful tomatoes over there. We grow You know, if you plant. So to take care of it, you will produce fruit. And if you accept Christ's love, and put it to use, and don't feed your sinful nature, but feed your loving nature, then you will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not to be confused with the gifts of the Spirit, that's something completely different. Paul said, and this is not an exhaustive list, either the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't that a wonderful list? Would you rather be bound of change, of sin and devoutry and jealousy and envy and rage? Would you like to have that kind of demeanor as you go through life? Or would you rather have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, The choice is ours. I know. I know. I've lived a life where there was not peace in my life because I knew that I wasn't being fully obedient to Jesus Christ. If you'll come back on Tuesday night uh, and bring friends with you, I'm going to give my testimony. I'll tell you about that. If you'll come back tomorrow night, I'll talk about how we can heal our nation. But tonight. I want you to think about the words that Paul wrote to the Galatians about love, loving our neighbors, and the fruits of the Spirit. You have a choice to make, and if you've never made that choice, I can't think of a better time than a right now. Will we pray with you? Eternal Father, We thank you. We thank you, Lord. You are worthy of our praise. You have loved us so much that we can't comprehend. And, dear God, we want to do right. We want to be your disciples. We want to be your servants. Please, dear God, remove the beam from our eye. Help us quit looking for the splinter. In our neighbor's eye, help us to stop being judgmental. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to witness to them in love, and not meanness and hate and envy. Dear Lord, if there be anybody in this place tonight who has not accepted Jesus Christ as his or her Savior. Please help them to make that decision before they leave this room. And dear God, if there are people who are struggling in their spirit, who are struggling in their hearts with being able to accept their neighbors, please bring them a peace tonight and please change their hearts and help us all leave here as new people in Christ Jesus. Help us to remember that we are to bring the light of Christ into a dark world. And help us to remember that we may be the only part of Jesus Christ that some people ever, ever see. In Christ's holy name, we offer these prayers. Amen.